Today's scripture is taken from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 15. We will once again be looking at the Lord's Prayer, but with two additional verses at the end. I will be reading from the English Standard Version. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The word of the Lord. So we're, we're studying the Lord's Prayer this fall. We're getting close to the end of our study. And we have been seeing over the last few weeks that of the six petitions in the Lord's Prayer, the last three, petitions four and five and six, help us to focus on your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that's the third petition. But numbers four, five, and six help us apply that, your will be done on earth, help us apply that practically in our daily lives. And last week, we looked at how we ask God for our daily bread, for what we need today, what, uh, give us today what we need to accomplish God's will tomorrow. Now, if you're in touch with yourself, if you're in touch with your own family, if you have been living with your eyes and ears open, you know that you don't do God's will every day. Not perfectly, not even close. You know that in the world, there are people all around us that are daily not doing God's will every day. And so this leaves us, the Bible says, in debt. We are daily indebted to our Creator. It doesn't mean a financial debt. Jesus isn't talking about a financial debt here when we hear the words debts and debtors. It's a moral debt. Because we break God's moral law all the time, we are in debt to our Creator, and it's a debt that the Bible says we cannot repay. For instance, the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 64, all of our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. Another translation is all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. Even the best that we do is dirty compared to God's righteous standards. And so Isaiah said, we all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. So here, the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer is, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, if you're here today, or if you're following on the stream and you're not a Christian, I'm glad you're with us, but I want to share with you a basic fact. You desperately need to receive God's forgiveness. If you're a Christian, here is a subsequent fact for you. You are called to forgive others without exception. As a person who is forgiven by your Creator, without exception, you are called to forgive others. Now, as we begin, I want to define what the Bible means by forgiveness. 
And actually, I'm just going to use a really helpful definition from my friends in St. Louis at Live at Peace Ministries. They say, forgiveness acknowledges that a wrong has been done, but chooses not to seek revenge or condemn the offender. You know a wrong's been done, but you choose to not take revenge or punish or condemn the offender. You know, our society's dramatic efforts right now to address all the conflict and all the hate and polarization, they all lack this one critical element and probably the most difficult of all, forgiveness. The world in trying to solve its problems right now is not talking about forgiveness. We have forgotten what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said 60 years ago. But what I hope you will see in what Jesus is impressing upon us in the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer is this, that Christian prayer seeks the gift of God's forgiveness and the power to forgive others. When we pray as Christians, as children of our Heavenly Father, we are asking for the gift of His forgiveness, but then also for His power to forgive others. And as we unpack that statement, I'm going to talk about praying for forgiveness, because Jesus tells us to, but then practicing it. We pray for forgiveness in order to practice forgiveness practically in our relationships and in this life. And finally, in order to do this, we need to rejoice. We need to have joy in the forgiveness of God. So praying for forgiveness, practicing it, and then rejoicing in God's forgiveness. That's today. Praying for the gift of forgiveness really gets to the heart of what it means to be a Christian. This is the heart of Christianity. Forgiveness. Being able to daily request that God forgives you for what you've done and said and how you've thought, it really is, in a sense, a personal statement of faith. To confess your sins to God and ask His forgiveness is really a statement of your own beliefs in a God who forgives sinners. Just like we read in Psalm 103, the Lord is merciful and gracious. He does not deal with us according to our sins. So when you ask God to forgive you, you are saying, I believe that He is merciful and gracious and will not deal with me as my sins deserve. It's a statement of faith. But maybe you're thinking that the Lord's Prayer is a bit awkward in how it words things. right? Maybe it seems a little backward for Jesus to say, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Is there some kind of mathematical equation there? Is there some kind of chronological time sequence? Is Jesus saying something like, Lord, and forgive me now since I've earned it by already forgiving other people? Now, Jesus cannot mean that. And I made sure that I wouldn't be misunderstood because I crossed it out. (laughs) Jesus cannot mean that Because we've already seen from Isaiah that even our best attempts at being righteous are like filthy rags compared to God. And if our best attempts at righteousness are polluted, then even our ability to forgive one another is in a sense polluted. So Jesus cannot possibly mean that we are earning God's forgiveness 
by forgiving one another. It can't mean that. So what did Jesus mean? Well, we're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount here. So let's use the context to interpret what Jesus means. Let's go back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount and remember the Beatitudes because the Beatitudes are going to clarify what Jesus is talking about here in His famous prayer. And just as a snapshot, just a, a paraphrase of the Beatitudes, we learn Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. People who know that they're desperate before God. And He also said, Blessed are those who mourn, who grieve over their sin, who grieve over the brokenness that this world is in. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they're going to be satisfied. And so these are the kind of people, Jesus is saying, that know they need God's forgiveness. And so they ask Him for it. And guess what? The Bible promises to forgive them. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for they shall be satisfied. So those who know that they are desperate ask for forgiveness and God gives it to them. And then Jesus says in response to that, we look at more of the Beatitudes, He says, blessed are the merciful. See, spiritually weak people become meek and humble. And humble people are merciful. People who know they need God's forgiveness, in turn, they practice it. And they become merciful people. And Jesus says, and because of that, they'll be shown mercy. Jesus even said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called what? Sons of God. He even says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Those who have enemies. And so really, what we're seeing is those who know they need God's forgiveness, therefore being forgiven, pay it forward as God's merciful peacemakers. And so really, what we're saying is, what Jesus is saying is that to pray for forgiveness, it's an identity statement. When you pray for forgiveness, you're saying who you believe you are. What have we been saying throughout the last year in the Sermon on the Mount? That identity generates impact. Those who are forgiven, forgive. Those who know they're forgiven, they forgive. So praying for forgiveness is an identity statement. You're saying who you are as a child of God when you ask Him for forgiveness and confess your sin to Him. Think about it. A healthy child-to-parent relationship um, is not broken because of a child's disobedience, but it is strained. We, you don't just kick your kid out of the house for one mess-up, but that mess-up can strain the relationship. And so the theologian J.I. Packer so succinctly and beautifully says, why need the Christian mention his daily sins to God at all? The answer lies in distinguishing between God as judge and God as Father. Between being a justified sinner and an adopted son. You see, praying for forgiveness is asking God to restore the broken fellowship between you and Him. His love for us is based on an eternal covenant that He keeps. But when we sin against Him, we strain the parent-child relationship and confessing our sin to Him is saying, Lord, would You restore the broken fellowship, as one author puts it. 
You see, God's will was done in heaven when He forgave your sin and justified you as righteous because of the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And we call this beautiful idea justification. Once for all, forgiven, reconciled. But God's will is done on earth as you continually repent for your ongoing recurring sins. That's the difference between, to use New Testament terminology, justification and sanctification. God's will was done in heaven to justify you, and His will is done on earth as you work out your salvation with fear and trembling daily, killing your sin. And that begins by confessing it daily to your God. So, confession, asking Him for forgiveness, is not a horror. It's not a horror show. Uh, As as Martin Luther, 500 years, 503 years ago yesterday, (laughs) made it very clear what he had discovered in his own life. He thought confession was a horrible thing, and he found himself in the confession booth constantly because he kept remembering his sins again and again and again, but he discovered Justification by faith alone. The book of Romans, chapter 1, 2, and 3. And in many ways, uh, the church was never the same, thankfully. And as he discovered, confessing our sins to our Creator is not a horrible thing. In Christ, as a Christian, what you're really doing is climbing back into Daddy's lap. And God's will is done on earth as you forgive others and as we forgive one another. Practicing forgiveness, once you've prayed it, practicing forgiveness is it's a proof that you are a Christian. Practicing forgiveness is it's, it's the fruit of our Christian life and identity. One author said that as we look at each of these petitions in the Lord's prayers, we ask Him six different things. Every every petition involves some type of commitment on our part. For instance, when we ask God to do His will on earth, it means we've got to do His will on earth. When we ask Him for our daily bread, we must be good stewards of what He provides. And when we ask for His forgiveness, we must forgive. That's the commitment that goes along with the request. And so the Apostle Paul said to the Ephesians, he said, um, uh, we're supposed to forgive one another as God and Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God. There's that that sonship, that that childlike relationship and identity. Therefore, be imitators of God as His beloved children. So we pray for the ability to forgive. And not only as individuals do we pray for the ability to forgive others, but we also pray corporately that we can learn how to forgive as a church, as a body, as a community of faith. This is not just an individualistic thing, although it is that, but it is also a corporate thing. We ask for God's help to forgive. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, we read this earlier, Paul said, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and what? And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
God sent Jesus because He loved the world and wanted to reconcile humanity to Himself. And so now forgiveness and reconciliation isn't just something we ask God for. It's now a ministry. We not only forgive one another, but we proclaim and facilitate reconciliation on earth as it's been done and declared in heaven in the throne room of God. And so I just want to mention two ways that we have the ministry of reconciliation at Christians. First, we promote the gospel. The good news that humanity can be reconciled to its creator. We start there. That is humanity's greatest need. It is every soul's greatest need. And, and we proclaim it and we pray about it and we talk about it without exception, without apology. Graciously, of course creatively and intelligently, of course, but without apology. That is the greatest need second to none. We promote the gospel. But secondly, we encourage reconciliation between whatever distinctions exist among us that this world or sin within us would try and use to divide us. This is really important. The ministry of reconciliation pursues peace in distinctions that would otherwise divide us. And so we pursue reconciliation as Christians between men and women. We pursue reconciliation between black and white, between rich and poor, between blue-collar and white-collar people. We pursue forgiveness and reconciliation between Democrats and Republicans. We don't erase these distinctions because Paul says in another place that there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female in Christ. The distinctions don't go away, but we do not allow our sinful proclivities to divide us because of those distinctions. We work hard and we pray and we practice resisting such divisions. Because you see, forgiveness is more than a prayer request. Forgiveness is more than a one-time verbal transaction between me and you. Forgiveness often should feel like a progression. Have you ever said, I forgive you, don't mention it to somebody, and then like a, a day later, or a month later, or five years later, something comes up and burns you in the stomach? And you go, oh, I have not forgiven as I thought I had forgiven. Often forgiveness becomes practically for you and me a process, a progression. We cannot say we forgive somebody verbally or we cannot say we forgive a people group verbally and then not see it through practically. Because when the disciples asked Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive? Seven? In other words, according to the rabbinical literature, aren't I off the hook once I've forgiven somebody seven times? And Jesus said, no. Seventy times seven. Meaning, you can't stop. You can't stop forgiving somebody. As my buddy Josh Davey likes to say, it's not forgive and forget. It's forgive and then keep on forgiving. You know that's what it's really like. You go, hold on now, Pastor. Hold on. That's too hard. That is difficult. Yeah, I agree with you. It is difficult. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer also would have agreed with you that it's really difficult, even impossible. He wrote, true forgiveness is always 
a form of suffering. Forgiveness requires patience and sacrifice and sacrifice and patience and sacrifice and patience. Wouldn't you want the same thing? Now you say, well, hold on. What about, what about an abusive relationship? Or what about an oppressive system? Well, I knew you'd be thinking that because you're all smart. And you've lived life and you know how difficult it is. Well, I'm glad you're thinking along those lines. When it comes to an abusive relationship or when it comes to an oppressive system, you at least need two things most. You need protective measures. You need to pray hard and pray hard and think hard and figure things out so that there are protective measures in place so that certain people will not continually be manipulated and intimidated and abused who legitimately seek the restoration of the relationship or reconciliation. Protective measures need to be put in place, which brings me to objective third-party help. In situations of abuse or oppression, you need third-party mediators who can see more clearly and help the opposing sides come together and provide accountability when those who have power and are in authority in the circumstance refuse to see the truth. So in those situations, protective measures and third-party objective mediation. But real forgiveness requires patience and sacrifice, sacrifice and should look like something more than the words, I forgive you, we're okay. If you mean it, ask God to help you. And cultivate a prayer life that embraces God's forgiveness of you and empowers you to forgive others. And here's a simple way that you might be able to pray like that in your daily prayer life. My Father, I praise You. I worship You because Your steadfast love never ends and Your compassion is boundless. You tell us that You are slow to anger and You are merciful and my own life is, is, the, is proof of that. Thank You, Father. And so I confess, we confess that we are often not like You. We are quick to anger. We are vengeful. And we don't afford to one another. And I, Father, have not afforded to others the same grace and patience that You have given to me. Father, I'm sorry. Please restore me to good fellowship with You. Restore my fellowship with others. But I thank You. Father, it is a joy for me to thank You because I, I know that Jesus died for every single one of these sins that I've committed, that we have committed. Thank You, Lord. And we praise You that, that, that our future sins cannot even undo what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. Thank You. And so now, as, as Your children, we ask You to restore us back to You. Father, restore me to You and restore the joy of what it means to be Your child. Relieve me, Father, from my guilt for what I've done. And, and relieve the shame 
that has come upon me because of what I've done and what I've said and how I think and how others have taught me to think about myself, would you, Father, remove the guilt and the shame? Not only for my past sins, but the ones I'm not even going to commit yet. And Lord, help me and help us to forgive others, even our enemies, even those who hurt us and belittle us and ignore us. Teach us how to forgive. And so that's just one example of how you can pray, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, according to the adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication paradigm, which is just an option that sometimes I find to be helpful. Cultivate a prayer life that embraces God forgiving you and you now forgiving others in His name. And watch out this week in your prayers for any discrepancy between the gift of forgiveness and the calling to forgive. If you've embraced the, forgiveness, the gift of forgiveness, be mindful of God's calling on your life to be somebody who forgives. Ask yourself if your prayers are filled with gratitude. Is your heart filled with thankfulness, as we sang earlier, for how God has forgiven you? And is your prayer life filled with requests to help you forgive others? Do you spend more time asking God to change them than you do asking God for His help to forgive them? Look for that discrepancy. And let's listen to Jesus' words because this is interesting. After the Lord's Prayer, the first thing that came out of His mouth according to Matthew's record is this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Okay, wow. So the one thing he chose to restate, the one thing he chose to circle back to out of all six petitions was forgiveness. Because it epitomizes everything he's trying to say in the Sermon on the Mount. It epitomizes what righteousness requires and what true hypocrisy is. An unwillingness to forgive because you have taken for granted your Heavenly Father's forgiveness. And to help you understand what Jesus is saying here, because it, He is dangling our feet over the fire for a moment, but there is hope. And, and I'm going to get to the hope, but, but I'm, I'm just going to blitz you with a few, a few passages of Scripture. I, I don't, don't freak out and try and scribble all this down. Just Just listen. He said earlier in Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then go offer your gift, right? Jesus is saying, was saying there, look, that offering, whether it's a, a blem, a, an, an animal without blemish, or, or whether it's, it's a drink offering or a grain offering or something, that's, that offering represents God's kindness to you. That offering represents somebody else died so that you could be forgiven. How dare you bring that gift representing God's forgiveness and patience to Him knowing that you've got a conflict that's unresolved. And you, have, you can do something about it. 
First deal with that, and then come and worship God. A little bit more later in Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 and 45, he said, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. You want to imitate Daddy? Forgive. Even bless those who curse you. And do not retaliate. And finally, later on in the sermon, near the very end of it, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, he will say, So whatever you, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For the law and the prophets hang on this. The golden rule. So we now understand Jesus is saying you must forgive. Why? To earn your way to heaven? No. You must forgive because it's how you want to be treated. As sons and daughters of your heavenly Father, forgiveness is how you want to be treated. How can we not forgive? And Jesus is essentially saying, how can you love a forgiving God and not be a forgiving person? But perhaps the scariest thing I read this week was the historian Justo Gonzalez who wrote, and what is most terrifying, we are asking God to not forgive us if we do not forgive others. But you have the opportunity to receive His forgiveness. Again, or maybe for the first time ever, and to rejoice in that forgiveness. Maybe it's in forgiveness that we really discover how impossible it is to be righteous. You can pray a lot and read the Bible and memorize Scripture and be a great theologian and be really nice to people and, and be admired by other religious people, but when it gets to forgiveness, I think that's really where it hits home that you and I cannot be righteous without God's help. This is where it sticks. And people of all religions pray and worship and sing, and do all sorts of impressive stuff. But I'm telling you right now, the proof of true Christianity in you is the willingness to learn how to forgive. But here's the good news, that even your failures to forgive are forgiven. There's a great promise in the New Testament. Jesus' closest disciple, John, said this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's faithful to give you. He's faithful to forgive you because He has promised and He keeps His covenant. He is just to forgive you because somebody else already, somebody else already died for your sins. And so He must forgive you because He must keep His promises. We can believe all of this with joy because Jesus practiced what He preached. Jesus made reconciliation the priority. And this is how He did it. Remember how He said, look, if you're coming to Me to worship, you're coming to the altar in the temple to worship, and you know that somebody's got a beef with you, or you've got a beef with somebody else, don't worship Me. Go, you want to worship me, go reconcile. 
Worship me by going and reconcile, and then come, right? Make reconciliation your priority. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Except he didn't leave his gift at the altar. He laid himself on the altar. That's how Jesus made reconciliation a priority. He left his glory on the throne and came down and laid himself on the altar and achieved your reconciliation with your Father in heaven. That's why forgiveness is possible. And if you receive it, it's yours. One of the most beautiful things I was taught and trained to do as a Christian uh, mediator and a conciliator is at the moment when somebody finally realizes how they've sinned. And not only the, the, the offender, you know, the one getting in all the trouble, sometimes the person who was offended was really the hardest person to break. And when a person finally, when it hits them how they have been unforgiving, or when, it, when their, their own sin and their own offenses hit them, in that moment, there's a beautiful opportunity to say to that person, especially if they're already a Christian, brother, sister, friend, you are forgiven because the blood of Jesus was spilled for you and you have been reconciled by the blood of Christ to your heavenly Father. And your sins are held against you no more. There is something beautiful about being able to share with a person or being able to hear from another person, friend, your sins are forgiven. So what we're really saying when we pray the prayer, forgive us our debts, is what David said after he sinned really, really badly. In Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Every day, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We're really saying, God, restore unto me the joy of my salvation, Daddy, and help me to be restored to that person. And from that joy comes the desire to forgive others and the power to do it. Just as Corey Ten Boom many decades ago discovered, when years after the Second World War, she was traveling through Europe preaching about forgiveness, telling the people of Holland that they had to forgive the Nazis. And then after one of her talks, uh, somebody walked up to her. You may, if, you, if you read The Hiding Place, you know this. And somebody reached out his hand to shake her hand and said, thank you, Fraulein. And, and it was one of the SS officers that she remembered from the concentration camp where her dad died, where her sister died, where she was humiliated and mistreated as a human being. And that was one of the people who did it to her. Who, who would apparently change because with a smile on his face, he came up to thank her and, and, and to agree with her that it's wonderful that our sins are forgiven. And she couldn't shake his hand. She couldn't do it. And she was deeply convicted. Everything she had preached all that time came to nothing in that moment when one of her persecutors stood, her, uh, persecutors stood at her in her face and with a smile on his face said, thank you. She couldn't shake his hand. And in that moment she said, she cried out to Jesus and begged him for his forgiveness because she couldn't do it. And so she wrote many years later, 
And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing depends, but on His, on Christ's. When He tells us to love our enemies, He gives, along with the command, the love itself. Forgiveness was God's priority. Now you make it yours. You want to live as a Christian, you make it your priority. You're not a Christian, embrace God's forgiveness for you as the priority of your life. You need it desperately. And from that, receive a joy that empowers you with a desire and an ability to forgive one another. We need that now more than ever, perhaps. So cultivate in your prayer life a desire to embrace God's forgiveness for you and to empower you to forgive others. Christian prayer seeks the gift of God's forgiveness and it seeks His power to forgive one another and to forgive those, those who offend us and overlook us and belittle us and intimidate us. Let's pray. Father, we confess to You that we have often lived as hypocrites. We have not forgiven as You have forgiven us. Forgive us. And in that forgiveness, restore the joy of our salvation to You. And empower us to forgive those who have hurt us the most. Or to forgive those who annoy us frequently. Or to forgive those whom we misunderstand. Or to those who misrepresent us. And Father, may the world know that we belong to Jesus in how we love one another by practicing forgiveness. Amen.